Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Rehoy and Son, big supporters of local sport. Our thanks to them. Lots of reflections from a packed weekend across the islands coming up. We were up in Alderney as Guernsey got the job done to book their place in the Marathi Vars final. We were also at the Corbett Field as Jersey got the better of our boys in the under-16 Nigel Gave Memorial Trophy. A reaction to both of those on the way. We'll also touch on an eventful finish to the season for Guernsey FC. Look ahead to another Another busy week with Saints on the cusp of something special and two more intrinsular clashes to come. Uh, I'm Tony Kerr. Alongside me is Rob Batiste. Hi, Tony. Simon Dellery. Hello. And James Fallot. Hiya. Great to see you all. Um, Harry Jones on the way as well for part two. Um, let's start up in Alderney, though. As I say, job done for Tony Vance's men. Uh, two Charlton Govine goals, the difference uh, up at Mount Hale. Del, you were there commentating um, on Saturday afternoon. I was, I was delighted to get the invitation from the Guernsey FA to go up and do their uh, live stream commentary. It's my first uh, visit to Alderney for a uh, Marathi semi-final and um, once I'd got over the shock of having to get to the airport for 20 past 6 for a <laughs> half past 1 kickoff, I had a thoroughly good time. I mean, it, it, from a purist's point of view, it wasn't the most graceful and beautiful game of football that you've ever seen. I don't think we can blame the pitch for that. It seemed pretty decent to me. Um, uh, not not as uh, silken smooth a, a surface as you might find at the Corbett Field or somewhere, but um, it was fine. Um, but uh, it was, it was a bit of a scrappy affair in the first half I think it's fair to say and um, obviously the thing at half time that had stood out a mile was the contribution of Charlton Govine who um, uh, um, Tony Vance used the phrase head and shoulders above everyone else and I was thinking exactly the same thing really um, he, he was not just uh, dynamic going forward but uh, any time that um, the Alderney players tried to get a bit of space and time in the midfield he was herring back at 100 miles an hour uh, taking the ball in his stride and then getting Guernsey going again you know he was absolutely the difference so 2-0 at half time was a fairly even scoreline and um, a goalless second half uh, does Alderney the credit they deserve I think they started the second half the brighter team um, that faded a little bit but they were certainly a much improved side second half but um, you know I, I uh, said during the uh, the commentary for the Guernsey FA that if they were going to come back into it and get anything out of the game after that half-time scoreline, they were going to have to do something that they'd literally never done in their history, which is score two goals against Guernsey in a match in Alderney. And, uh, you know, they never really looked like achieving that. Yeah, the wait goes on for a, for a goal against Guernsey for them. As you say, those two moments from Charlton, um, particularly the second goal stands out, a free kick sort of drilled in and, and sort of thundering off his chest and then just a yeah, remarkable piece of athleticism um, yeah. to do. To, to, Bicey it in. Yeah, we'd uh, we'd already seen a couple of uh, um, set pieces fizzed in by Danny Hale with with extraordinary whip and curl. It's just brilliant. It's the first time I've ever seen him play, and I was thinking, blimey, that Rob Batty's really knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Who knew? Um, uh, no, he really was quite excellent. And uh, yeah, so to take that ball on his chest uh, just so calmly like that at that pace. And then uh, that bought him a lot of time because nobody got close to him by the time he put it away. Um, it was it was a, it was a fitting way to sort of uh, sum up his own contribution. You know, he won that game basically. So uh, I think Tony Vance will be very pleased, obviously, to get through to the uh, final. Uh, the banana skin of all banana skins is. Uh, uh, not been stepped on, um, but he'll be wanting more players to step up a little bit ahead of the next one. Charlton's ability is no secret, of course, but when you see him do stuff like that, you do think he could be, yeah, you know, he should be having those kind of impacts more regularly for GFC and for Island Sides. I thought it was great that he was playing in central midfield. 
rather than on the wing where he plays for, for, for GFC. Now, I understand that Tony likes to use his ball-carrying ability and, and pace uh, to, to attack teams from wide in, uh, in GFC games, but... Charlton, I think, has always been a central midfielder. And, you know, when he can have maximum impact on a game such as that, uh, then, you know, and I understand that's his preferred position as well. So, I mean, he really uh, made the point there to say, uh, you know, this is what I want to be doing. Whether he gets to do that on the 21st of May, mind, is another another matter. It's an interesting um, question there because you look at possible players to come in for the final, um, and I suspect with Ben Acey, an obvious one. I think Ben Easy was probably held back from this game being a rough and tumble game up in Alderney, but I'm pretty sure he'll play in the Marathi on at Springfield. Agree, yeah. He um, came off injured though, didn't he, against Hanwell Town? Yeah, as long as he's as long as he's fit, that is, of course. But um, I think if he's fit, he'll play. I'm pretty sure, and I've got a sneaky feeling young Jackson may well play as well. So that's two midfield slots, or you know, sort of gone straight away. Will Kesman will play? So where does Charlton fit in? Will they push him back, back out on, on the, the right, right wing? wing? Mm. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, interesting to see because I'm going to, you know, Danny Hale presumably will play on the on the left wing, and um, perhaps one or two in the middle. We don't know. It's an interesting conundrum or two there, really. Well, Tony did tell me after the game that he thought a couple of guys might have played themselves into consideration for. You know, I mean, he picked a side to do to do a job against Alderney, right? And obviously had the balancing uh, demands of, uh, of the GFC game at the same time. But, you know, he did say that a couple of lads might have played themselves into consideration for the final. And I would think that Danny Hale was, was one of, was, would be one of those players. I thought, you know, while, you know, I didn't think anybody, or Charlton aside, I didn't think anybody in Guernsey Colours really, you know, was put out a standout performance on Saturday. But um, he gave moments of you know illuminated moments of the game uh, and given what we've seen in Marathi finals in recent years tedious games with, with teams cancelling each other out we need some magic like that to, to happen yeah, in, in these games I think for, for Guernsey to uh, you know to, to, to get on the front foot so I reckon he might have a chance I wonder if also he's possibly thinking along the lines of Dave Rio at right back you know um, wouldn't be at all surprised could um, also be uh, and a young Jake Lowe. Jake Lowe, Lowe yeah. Mm. Um, Ross Allen was talking to me in the bar after the game about uh, the performance of Jake Lowe that had really impressed him. He was certainly seeing a lot of the ball and didn't really put a foot wrong. It was kind of uh, it was it was uh, very effective and functional rather than um, spectacular, but it was a good contribution he made. But there again, of course, Ben the Tox had he's been played more games for GFC than anyone this season who's quite able to fill that left back role or left sided defended defence role. So, hmm. well, Tony's now got the challenge, though, of, of trying to get this group together for the next three weeks and actually do some sessions. Uh, and Saints, I think, have one league game remaining, two cup semi-finals, yeah, and potentially and Upton and, oh, and, Upton and potentially two cup finals. You know, so uh, how, how often is, is Martin's players going to be available for Ireland training unless he has it at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning or something? You know, yeah, it was certainly a, a, a strong-looking side that. Tony put out on Saturday as you say Jake Lowe starting Sam Murray as well up front um, involved and, and Danny Hale starting as well I mean yeah you, so yeah, in terms of potential changes then for the for the final have you got a, a final side in mind Rob? No, 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 no <laughs> not really no I, I don't think it'll be too much different but as I say I've got a sneaky feeling um, AC will come back in and, and Jackson if he's fully fit and of course the other one if he's fit again is Thomas Dodds I don't know the extent of his injury I know they think of him very highly but um 
No, I think um, AC Jackson certainly will, will come back in. I understand Jackson's in the mix for next Sat- or this Saturday's under twenty one uh, game. So if he plays there, that you know, might be a marker on uh, on whether he comes into consideration for the for the big one. Yeah, we'll touch on that a bit later on. Um, Del, as far as Alderney are concerned, as we say, um, to lose two 0 is, is certainly no. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't reflect badly on them at all. Um, as for the sort of day as a whole, you know, they've waited. That, well, they missed the opportunity to sort of celebrate that centenary um, uh, occasion of of the, their only victory. I mean, how much did the community kind of come out and enforce to celebrate this one? Uh, I mean, everyone was really welcoming is the first thing that struck me. I was kind of half expecting to get a bit of barracking. I've, I've spent <laughs> much of the last six years living in Australia where, you know, it's it, the automatic response to any sort of old, old enemy coming in is to just give you endless grief. But actually, it's, everyone's just not... Uh, just complimenting on the, uh, the players, on, on you know, or, or thanking them for coming over for the game, but also just like singing their praises the whole time. It was really, it was just a, such a warm atmosphere. But once the game got going, I don't know what the uh, attendance was there actually, but it must have been uh, four, above 400, I would think. Um, and uh, you know, they were they were they were really chomping at the bit to have something to shout about. They didn't get a lot in the first half really to get them motivated, but uh, it was it was certainly really well attended. There was a great sort of festival atmosphere um i heard plenty of banter behind me in the in the uh, bar uh, um when i was doing the com- where i was doing the commentary from um uh, but uh, no i was i was just really enjoying the whole atmosphere the whole day um staying with Alderney as well of course we must um, note the fact that it's ross benfield's probably his last marathi before he's departing to australia any day now um he's been a you know the tower of strength really in that ordinary side for many many years and you know going forward they're going to miss him you know miss him very very badly but I'm sure because he would have been a you know he would walk into virtually every Prio League in the Prio League side um, possibly with the exception of St Martins but um, you know going forward they will be a lot weak of him and he's you know he's a good honest player good at both ends of the game, um, pitch, centre-forward, centre-half, good penalty taker. He's taken a few over the last years, over the last few years. Um, um, how they replace him, I don't know. Yeah, he, on his day, he's, uh, he's a real force, isn't he? And I remember the game a few years ago, I think Guernsey, it might be the one that Guernsey only won 1-0 a penalty, and he'd come back from, I think, Asia, travelling, and he basically arrived the day before, like, real, like, kind of, stonking tan like obviously a long flight probably been enjoying himself for a few months you'd think you'd sort of be forgiven for thinking he'd be absolutely knackered and and would have been um you know kind of sort of seeing the game passing by but he was absolutely brilliant and he was like diving into throwing his body in front of everything um yeah so a big loss and I mean is that when someone like that moves on you know all of these chances are sort of ever diminished aren't they very much so you know they haven't got a, an awful lot to go going for them to be honest you know they've got a lot of energy a lot of commitment got a lot of physical strength people like Jermaine Parry etc but you know to lose somebody of that quality is going to be very very hard to find in Alderney they've got one or two players with, with decent quality left from on the evidence of yesterday and that's the only evidence I'm going on but I mean Joe Blackham particularly really impressed me and uh, Dante Walker was in the game an awful lot and gave Gave Guernsey a few problems down uh, down Alderney's left flank, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it will be it will be a miss, but um, they've got other resources to uh, to rely upon. Got to say on this uh, game on Saturday, uh, congratulations to the Guernsey FA and to uh, Adam Burrows and and Buzz for putting on the live stream because 
that's you know the chance of getting to Alderney to watch the semi-final. It's hard enough for the team to get to Alderney to watch to play in the semi-final, let alone watch it. Uh, so to be able to watch it on the stream, I understand eighteen hundred people. Uh, tuned in across the course of the game at some point and it was, and that was all over the world as well so fair play for uh, for putting that on and uh, I mean clearly the, the commentary made it but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but that was excellent and it gave me the opportunity I think to be the first uh, Guernsey Press reporter ever to report on a Marathi while doing the dishes at the same time. <laughs> Great stuff so yeah it is Guernsey heading over to Jersey uh, next month Saturday the 21st of May is the day at two o'clock kickoff hopefully lots of um, Lots of Guernsey fans will be able to make it across there as well um, to cheer them on in person. Uh, Del, thanks very much for bringing us uh, all that reaction. My and, pleasure. Uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Cheers. Coming up next, then, we'll be looking back at the under-16 Marathi and everything else that's coming up. Welcome back. If you're not already, uh, do give us a follow on social media at GSY Press Sport, of course, is the place to go on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And hit follow or subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast to get every show uh, delivered straight to you uh, as we wind towards the end of the season. Uh, showing our strength and depth now, uh, a top class substitute off the bench. Harry Jones joins us uh, to look back at uh, Sunday's under-16 Nigel Gave uh, Memorial Trophy at Corbett Field. And not, not a great day for Guernsey in the end. Jersey running out 3-0 winners. Um, and taking the trophy back to Jersey. Uh, yeah, Harry, as you say, you were watching that one. Yeah, tough day for the Sarnian boys. Yeah, no, it definitely was a tough one. I think it's one of those games that it could have gone either way if we, we didn't really step up, I don't think. But early on, I mean, we did miss a big chance early on. Then we had one sort of on the stroke of half time, which I spoke to Gary Roberts and he said there's actually over the line, obviously. I don't have any sort of confirmation on that, but he said it was over the line. So we could have got back into the game. It could have been sort of 2-1 going into the second half. Makes things a little bit nervier because, I mean, in the second 45 especially, I thought Jersey just controlled it. They sort of showed their class and experience. I didn't think they were particularly one of the better Jersey sides. Obviously, they were quite solid. They were very reasonable. I think we were a strong squad, but didn't particularly step up on the day. And yeah, Jersey fully deserved to win that game. It was probably by the margin they did as well. Yeah, 2-0, as you say, at half-time. The first goal, a heavily deflected uh, free kick. The second, uh, the keeper getting a pretty strong um, foot on it or, or hand on it, and it just kind of squirmed in. So two really frustrating goals. One chance for Zach Batiste, and yeah, certainly me and Jim couldn't quite believe how it didn't go in because he looked like he had, his body shape was exactly right, kind of hooked, hooked the ball um, from about three yards out, and somehow it went... I saw a photograph of that last night. The keeper dropped it uh, behind him uh, and Zach was there kind of on the six-yard line and you were thinking, he just sweeps this into the net. But the photograph showed he was kind of stretching for it and as a result, he ended up Put it just past the post, but I mean, it was seemed to be inevitable that the ball was going to hit the back of the net, uh, you know. And you're kind of leaping up in celebration, then suddenly it doesn't. And uh, yeah, that was you know the the one that got away, absolutely. Yeah, and Tim Apshin, obviously, having scored for GFC um, a couple of weeks ago, was was probably the sort of standout name going into it. And he he looked very bright, had a lot of the ball and showing a lot of tricks, but in the end, couldn't really get into any sort of meaningful positions to have a, have clear shots on goal or actually cause any chaos. It would be untrue to say that he didn't get a kick because he got plenty of kicks from uh, Jersey defenders. <clears throat> but uh, sadly, Tim wasn't able to... I think you know, they wanted to use him in a specific area rather than just roaming the park. So they put him on the right wing to, you know, and, and targeted that. Uh, Jersey were very clever slash cynical uh, you know if either he'd get uh, nudged before he got the ball or when he knocked it past the defender he would be uh, uh, you know knocked into Grand Fort Road uh, unceremoniously you know he was um, you know after about 20 minutes because Guernsey wore white uh, on the day and he looked like he'd been playing rugby when yeah, everybody else had been playing football it? you know um, and a, a decent crowd down there to support them and uh, Rob you're in there as well what did you make of what you saw? 
Yeah, well, I thought, you know, turned up thinking we may well win the game because we've got a good team, a lot of good players in there. But I was pretty disappointed, to be honest, by the display. I thought it was disjointed and um, we weren't, we didn't play as a team at all, whilst Jersey very, very much a team. Solid centre-half in Charlie Brennan, who I'm told was a very good cricketer as well, by the way, where he forced his way into the Jersey senior team. Um, that's by the by, of course. But um, no, they... Jersey played quite a defensive game and they knew what they were doing. I felt we didn't know what we were doing for the whole game, whole 80 minutes. And we obviously played a lot of emphasis on Tim's performance, Tim Apsion. But when it when it wasn't clearly wasn't working him and him playing wide right, we didn't seem to change it. You know, in the second half, what did we do? He was picking up a lot of the ball, doing some nice tricks on the halfway line when we were chasing the game. Why on earth he wasn't being pushed right up top? We were why we weren't putting the ball long for him to run onto um, and use young Griffin's height as well, perhaps to play off him. I don't know. We just kept playing the same way. It was very disappointing. We, we got some. The thing is, we've got some very good players, but um, quite clearly. But they didn't perform on the day. Yeah, I guess it's tough, isn't it, when you go 2-0 down to two quite frustrating goals, I say. You know, you're chasing the game then and Jersey actually closed it out pretty effectively. Yeah, it could have been worse, of course, because I'm I'm damn sure Jersey had a penalty very, very early on. That's the most nailed-on penalty I've seen in a long time. Hell the heck, the, the, the two officials could not give it. I just don't know. And it may well. It's bordering on a sending-off defence as well um, because he was clearly... He was, you know, he was going to round him. He would have put the ball in the net from about five yards. I thought he was on the goal line, wasn't he? Well, it was very, very close. I mean, but it was certainly a penalty. Just a word on the uh, the keeper and the other goal, uh, Jersey's Raul Asek. Um, I quite enjoyed his performance. To be fair, he ran up and the full length of the pitch to celebrate the first goal. Bearing in mind, it was what like about the twenty fifth minute, um, at which his coaches were saying, "Raul, like you know, what are you doing? Get back!" Basically, and then he was getting a lot of stick, obviously from the um, and a lot of, sort of baiting from from you know, the guys behind the goal. Yeah, you know, as is uh, as is the tendency of these occasions. And he, there was one moment where he caught the ball and he sort of showed it to to the, the Guernsey supporters behind it. And you know, he was obviously uh, an exuberant chap and enjoyed uh, enjoyed that moment. He was something of a character, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the kicking was erratic in the extreme some of the um you know saves or drops because i think he dropped two well obviously the one that you know did or didn't go over the line plus the one that created zach's chance were both dropped it was just it's just a shame that we weren't able to um exert a bit more pressure on him i think there were there were shades of uh, the young grubbler or even for for, um, for rob john burridge in that performance Black faces from me and Harry. Um, <laughs> Harry, you spoke to Stuart Moyles, um, who was in the dugout for Guernsey, taking this side along with Ross Allen and Dave Gilman. Um, but you've been speaking to Stu. What did he have to say about the performance? Yeah, well, I know obviously you wanted to speak to him again on the podcast. Today he was sort of chock-a-block, so I've got quite comprehensive notes from him. Um, yeah, first of all, he sort of gave me a summary of his thoughts on the game from his perspective. So he said, obviously, disappointing to lose and ratty, but he thought it was the right result. He said first 20 minutes, he thought they looked like a real threat, so they looked to take the game to them. Jersey had that pen shout. He said that he thinks everyone in the whole, in the whole, um, in the whole of the court field probably thought it was a pen, apart from the linesman, the ref, and um, Ollie Harrison himself, although probably Ollie probably thought it was a penalty as well, but that wasn't given. He said he felt really bad for the Jersey coach, would have hated to be in that sort of position. Um, they, had a, they had a couple of good chances as well, but then he said that goal, the deflected goal, sort of changed the game. After that, it's hard to get back into it. Jersey came onto them. But he said overall they thought they'd quite a decent first half despite the two goals. And on a different way, it definitely could have been a different scoreline going into half time. He said they didn't really test the keeper enough, as you were saying about um, the Jersey keeper maybe looking a bit dodgy on a few occasions, especially with his hands. He said the Jersey took 
their chance as well. And second half, it was just tough for them. It was a real scrappy sort of Marathi classic game of football. Jersey managed it very well, looked like a more experienced side than Guernsey. Maybe they've had a bit more preparation, not sure on that. But he said that Jersey just controlled it. Great game management, slowed the game down. They would have tried to do the same thing if they were in that same position. So he fully respects what they were doing sort of with their tactics. And in the end, they deserved it. But he said he couldn't fault the energy of the team and that everyone pretty much gave everything they had on the day. Yeah, good battling performance. Uh, fair play to uh, Jersey's side. Um, yeah, well done to them on the victory. And for Stu and um, his fellow coaches, they, they're off to Jersey this weekend, aren't they, with the uh, Star Trophy side. So a, a chance to make some amends there. Uh, but Star Trophy, not traditionally or certainly in recent times, a fixture that we've done um, particularly well in. Jim, you've been looking at some of the stats um, in recent years, in terms of age group football actually as a whole and how um, we sort of measure up Guernsey versus Jersey. Well, in Star Trophy, since 2012, we've only won the game once. Uh, which was in 2016. But uh, so there's a massive weekend coming up for international football because you know, there are five uh, Marathis played every year in, in, the, uh, in the men's game, um, 15s, 16s, 18s, 21s and the, and the full Marathi. Uh, we have, since the 16s, which was the last one to be introduced, came in in 2007, We've never been shut out of the lot. We've uh, never had a, a complete uh, whiteout. So hopefully, uh, we've, we're two, at the moment, we're two down um, with three to come. So hopefully that doesn't happen this time around. So it's a big week coming up. Uh, Under-21s has clearly been our strength over the last decade. We've won the last five. Uh, and so it'd uh, be crucial that that one continues uh, th- th- next week uh, to, to make it six in a row. But across the period, so I, w- I just had a look from 2011 onwards till uh, Inter-Institute Football stopped in, uh, well, I went to the end of 2019, obviously there was one game in 2020 uh, before the pandemic. Um, so that's 45 matches over nine years. Now Guernsey have won 18 of those games, uh, which is 40%. Uh, and I also did some maths, uh, bent my brain a little bit, but the, um, uh, as I can work it out, between the two islands, uh, our population, if the combined population of the islands is 100%, ours is 38% of that. So amazingly, that, um, you know, our... So we are punching above our, our weight. Our Marathi record kind of mirrors, <laughs> the, mirrors the population Don't you believe split. it, don't you believe it. <laughs> Oh, do you buy into that, Rob? Um, no, you know, the, not the wholly, I'm afraid. I've heard, this, so I've heard this um, argument quite a few times in the last few years and it stands to reason Jersey are going to have a better chance of beating us and will win more games I accept that fully but having seen a lot of the age group Marathis at 16s, 15s and 18s in the last 10 years we've been poorly prepared a lot of the time and I would blame that far more than the actual the actual numbers number game and you know the population Uh, we just need to be prepared better we need to be tougher. I just don't, you know, we've seen to have a slightly softer, softer attitude in terms of our, our performances. You know, we like to play good football. We like to, you know, play pretty football. Jersey, almost across the board, do a job. And to be honest, I think a lot of the Guernsey fans would like, would accept that. They'd be quite happy for us to win 1-0 with a boring performance rather than lose gallantly 4-3 and play some pretty football. Um, it's all very nice, and I said we've got some really good players, but I do think we, you know, Jersey, you saw again on yesterday, Jersey had more nous about them. Whether that comes from the coaches or whether it comes from within their own game, I don't know. I suspect a bit of both. But we need to be tougher. So how do we change that? I mean, obviously the last few years have been 
you know, it, it's been impossible to to sort of test um, young players off island. But is it about getting those squads away to the UK for you know just to face different opposition, to face different, you know, to get different experiences, or is it just in the the kind of what's said in the dressing room, you know, in, in sort of ten minutes before the match? It's very hard to know. I mean, Harry might have, you know, as, as, a, as a younger man, might have uh, a, a better insight. Uh, I am sceptical of the value of sending age groups away to the UK, you know, especially with the under 18 age group. You know, effectively, you're going to lose up to 50% of them uh, from domestic football the following season anyway. It doesn't seem to me to be a great investment in, you know, in Guernsey's Marathi hopes going forward to to play them in South West Counties competitions uh, or whatever. I mean, you, you could argue, I don't know if the Jersey uh, age group leagues are, are tougher than ours. I mean, they've got more teams, they've got more players. But I think the vast majority of yesterday's squad were from St Paul's. So if they all play for one club team, they can't doesn't doesn't indicate that there's a massive great competition that that's uh, in in that league. So you know it doesn't feel like they'd be getting tested week in week out either. So yeah, I've I've no easy answer. No, I mean same. It's quite hard to find a balance. Obviously, as you say, getting away would be tough, and obviously that interferes with club teams. Clubs being able to put out sides for um for under eighteen games, under sixteen games. But I think. We definitely need to play more games as age groups growing up under 16 and under 18. Because, for example, for our 18s, Marathi, we played three games over the year before our, before our Marathi. You know, some I barely played with some of the players before going into the game. And I think if players have that experience of playing as an island against other, whether that's 18s teams playing against more Prio sides, playing against GFC, playing against the Prio rep team, things like that, I think you definitely need to have a little bit more of players playing together, working as a team and sort of developing a system. Because yesterday, I think a lot of the players, like as Rob said, it's such a talented squad, but I don't know how many times they've played together as a team. Probably very few times. And when you're playing in a Marathi and there's, what, a thousand people at the Corbett field and you've barely played together before, you sort of revert back to what you know. All you've had is experiences of training with these players and you don't really know how to deal with the situation. I suspect maybe those Jersey 16s players have probably played with each other a little bit more as an island team. I'm not sure on that, of course. But Jersey tend to do that because... When we played our 18s, Marathi, for example, they went away and played, I think, in a county cup. So they played together, not week in, week out, but at least month in, month out, leading up to the Marathi. Whereas we were still fairly new to each other. We didn't really know the system. And I think it definitely helps Jersey to go and win more games. So they've got more experience playing as a team and things like that and playing against high-level opposition. I'm going to be very interested at the under-21s to see how the Jersey Bulls under-23s outfit makes a difference to to how they perform at, at that level. I mean, the fact that they're doing that is amazing financially and and for the players. I mean, you think about it from a Guernsey perspective, I don't, just don't think we'd have enough players to, to, to justify it. You know, all, all our best uh, teenagers, young players are, are playing for, for GFC. You know, I certainly don't see there's another squad of 16 uh, guys ready to play in UK, UK competition. Um, but, you know, if that pays dividends for Jersey, we could be playing catch-up for a long time. Yeah. I think that's definitely where the population issue comes into it a little bit because they have more opportunities to to go away and get bigger squads, make it a little bit more difficult for us. But I think the under-21 under Marathi will be fascinating based on the fact that they've played together as a team so much, whereas we've got a really strong group of individuals, but they've trained, what, two, three times? I mean, we've got players like 
Charlton, Tom Jackson, Keen Domar, Ben AC all play for GFC, whereas I look at the Jersey 21s, probably only one or two of them play for Bulls. So on paper, we should be a better side, but obviously they've probably had a lot more preparation going away and playing, so it should be a really fascinating game. Well, we've got two more cracks at um, age group Marathis um, to come. As we say, the under-21 Marathi here in Guernsey on Saturday at the track. I think a midday kickoff, but we need to double-check that. And then uh, the Star Trophy away in Jersey on Sunday. So uh, obviously best of luck um, to both of those sides. Uh, right, that's it for part two. Um, we'll round up everything else next. Welcome back. Um, one man who was uh, scoring in an under-16 Marathi not that long ago um, is back in the gossip column on Sunday. Alex Scott um, being linked now with Leeds and Tottenham, a £10 million rated midfielder described by the Mirror, uh, to which Tony Vance replied uh, they'll have to pay a lot more than that to get him. So um, I expect to see Alex Scott's name appearing in, um, in the gossip pages a few more times, I think, before the end of the summer. Oh, well, the transfer gossip, uh, one hopes, yeah. Um, it's difficult to know what's best for Alex now, isn't it? You know, he's clearly, as, as at the age of 18, an established championship player. What's the next move? You know, and is another year in the championship any really good for him? Do Bristol City need to realise that asset? Where does he go from there? I mean, frankly, if he went, if he started playing in somebody's academy setup or, or you know, under 23s or Premier League Two, whatever it's called nowadays, you know, I, I find it hard to see that would be for his for his benefit. But uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's intriguing. Yeah, I do, yeah, exactly. It's going to be an interesting next step for sure. Um, I mean, I don't know, Rob, what, you, you might know a bit more. Who's, what's the most expensive transfer involving a channel and player in, in history? I suppose we'd have to adjust for inflation perhaps if you well, go back a few you, years. Well, if you take an inflation, um, quite clearly it was um, Flip Leflem who signed, was signed by Wolves in the late, was it the late 50s? For fifty odd thousand, he become an England under twenty three player at that time. He played several times in England under twenty threes alongside Bobby Moore, um, and I say that was pretty pretty big signing. And he was a goal scoring winger, um, so that must be the the biggest um, sale on for sure. Graham Lasso, you know, Chelsea to Blackburn. Yeah, so fifty thousand in nineteen fifty odd would have been a, a decent whack a, now. A decent yeah. whack now, you know. Well, the Athletic did some maths, didn't they, on um, recently on, on transfer fees uh, with inflation and everything. I think Alan Shearer's move to Newcastle was rated about 205 million um, in today's money. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll obviously be following Alex, uh, Alex's progress on and off the pitch very closely. Um, Let's touch on GFC because they concluded their season away at Hanwell Town the weekend and it was a, a seriously eventful day in the end. Um, I know you've been speaking to Tony Vance. Uh, Jim, you, can you talk us through what happened? Um, in terms of the, the game itself, Guernsey took a surprise 1-0 lead but ended up losing 4-1. They conceded twice in injury time. But the, the, undoubtedly the man of the match was uh, was Glenn Letizia, uh coming off the bench, I believe, <clears throat> to wear an orange kit after uh, Lucas Hanley was, was injured uh, in the game. Uh, and GFC have produced Glenn's own little highlights reel on social media, which I've seen, uh, which I've seen today. Uh, it's a few great saves, a couple of really good, a couple of really good claims, and then an embarrassing clangor when he tries to uh, chip a ball to uh, to the left back, and he gets intercepted by a guy standing about five yards away. And well, I watched that clip. I mean, great with his hands. You know, he's coming for everything, claiming high balls, low balls. Then the one time he needed needed to kick a ball ten yards to his teammate, he managed to cock it up. Uh, and I see Hanwell. Uh, 
seem to take him to their hearts as well. You know, they put a little uh, a social media tribute up to Glenn, I think, and also showed a picture of him um, uh, tripping up on the, on the step to go back into the changing room. So he certainly had an eventful uh, day. Yeah, well, well done to him for, for taking it on. And uh, yeah, he had a smile on his face uh, uh, yeah, when he was uh, in that orange shirt, as you say. So good effort. Yeah, well, I've, I've spoken to Tony about the season, or very briefly about the season as a, as a whole. Um, his, his overall feeling is that they're slightly underachieved, uh, you know, despite all the uh, issues that they had, all the midweek fixtures, the late start, the eight consecutive away games or whatever it was. Um, but, you know, I think it was probably only two or three results in it. I think, you know, had they turned around some games where, you know, they chucked uh, lost points you know, late on in games or whatever, maybe three more wins might have taken them significantly up the table to the area where, uh, you know, he, he thought they should have been. Um, it's been a season of transition for Guernsey FC, hasn't it? I mean, a lot of young players coming in uh, and, and, you know, in certain cases, cementing their places. I mean, Tony said that's probably about the third time they've gone through that process as a, as a group of players. Um, you know, and it certainly does no harm, I think, in freshening up you know he's been at it a long time as well, and and you know, and you know for him to be able to deal with new exciting young talents, same with uh, with Colin Fallows, and indeed for some of the senior players to you know to suddenly be mixing it with different lads, changing the dynamic in the change room. So I think overall GFC will be fairly happy with their season. Ultimately, I think it's been a very successful season. When you think they're, they're a bit of a mess in the early autumn, you know we were all considering whether they were going to go go down or would we be in the same league as Jersey next year and that sort of stuff no I think they've had a they've brought on quite a few players they've established themselves Ben the Tock been a big success you know um, hadn't played for GFC before this season stepped up to the mark very well very very good Keen Domar great Ben Acey great um, young Tom Jackson coming in nice player I know he's not strictly one of our own, I suppose. He hadn't come through the system, but he is qualified for the Marathi and hopefully we've got him for a while to come. But, uh, and um, you know, we've sort of somewhere down the road to replacing Ross Allen, or not replacing Ross Allen, but possibly um, spotting a long-term replacement in Keane Domar because Keane is shaping up very, very well. You know, I think what looked a very bleak season ahead has turned out very promising. So well done to all, I say. Yeah, some really bright moments um, in the end. Uh, GFC finishing 14th in the Isthmian South Central, 36 points, nine wins, nine draws, uh, 18 losses. Um, yeah, so oh, oh, it's going to be interesting to see what their squad looks like at the start of next season because there will be a few comings and goings, certainly a few goings, and uh, we wonder who will be sort of filling in uh, filling in there. Obviously, Ben Acey looks like he's going away. Um, Lucas Hanley... Um, presumably won't be involved next year, although um, he stepped in ably, hasn't he, after Callum Stanton um, came and went in the flash uh, at the start of the year. A c- couple of others probably won't be around next year as Tom, well. Tom Jackson's probably off. I think he's going to uni in October, September, something like that. I think it's time for Harry Jones to come off the commentary bench uh, <laughs> and, and show, show us truly what he's made of. I think I did get signed on in the end as an emergency for the last few away <laughs> games, just in case, in case they're absolutely desperate for someone to sit on the bench. But seriously, I think Tony Vance has got the bit between his teeth now. He's going to, um, he really wants to push for promotion. He, he, he's not, he's not accepting lower middle, lower middle order as a, as a, as a you know, a long-term position for the club. He wants them to really push on. And if that's the case, fair play to him. Um, but they're going to have to get up some 
some new talent in, that's for sure, to supplement the youngsters who are coming through. Well, we're, we're running on and on. We've got a few more things to touch on. Um, before we just look ahead to what else is coming up, Jim, just looking back at the weekend, um, another title in the under-18s for North and a couple of other uh, bits of silverware decided? Yeah, to be honest, North's under-18 title has been nailed on for uh, all season long, and but they finally confirmed it by... Uh, beating Sylvans. Um, also in the Vets League, um, Bells have won the title only two seasons after returning to the league. So fair play to them. I mean, they do have a, uh, all their group of, of good players, you know, really former Ireland players, etc. now hitting that 35 mark. So um, they haven't, I don't believe, all played together in any game this season, though I think all of them have played individually. But the day, <clears throat> the day that they do all turn up on the same side, I fear for the, uh, I fear for the team that's playing against them. That'll probably be the day I make my Vets debut. So uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, this weekend is a big game in the. Uh, uh, last week we were talking about the the Jackson League, uh, Lancaster, Lancaster one, and there's a massive game. Winner takes all uh, on Sunday, where Rockane Pirates are playing Rovers, and the winner of that game will win the league. Where's that, Jim? Uh, I think it's some pieces. Good stuff. And Harry, um, the Prio League season kind of um, coming to a conclusion. And Saints very much on the verge of, of something special. They've got one game to go. Um, tell us about what's at stake. Yeah, so um, I spent Friday afternoon going through the archives for about sort of three hours or I so. I did wonder what you were looking for. Yeah, no, it was, it was really, it's actually really enjoyable just looking through all the different years of the press. And then eventually I found the team that last went unbeaten in the Prio. Everyone said to me going into it that it was probably Sylvan's when they went, I think, nine in a row they won, but it wasn't them. Their best season was one loss in the league. I think, I think they won like all seven trophies that year, but they did lose a league game. And the last team to go and beat in, in the Prio was Wreck in 1982-83. There we go. So, so 39 years. And Saints go to Bells um, on Tuesday night, tomorrow night, um, yeah, for their final game of the season. So, yeah, that, that prize at stake for them. Yeah, it should be interesting. I think Saints can be without all their under-21 players who are playing in the under-21 Ratty at the weekend. So, might be a little shift in the squad. Might see a few new players coming into the starting line. I'd be interested. <laughs> Maybe even a start myself, but <laughs> more likely probably off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, don't, uh, yeah, we, well, well, we'll check in next week and then and see how you got on and uh, yeah, whether that record is still intact from Breck in the, uh, in the 80s. Um, the other game coming up this week, Saints heading to Portsmouth on Bank Holiday Monday in an 11.30 kickoff, is that right? Yeah. Uh, an early start for the uh, We Wake Up semi-final, um, so that'll be a, an interesting bit of Bank Holiday football to follow there. Um, that's just about it from us. Rob, I know you wanted to mention, though, uh, and pay tribute to uh, a Marathi legend um, from uh, a, a way back who's uh, sadly passed away. Well, not such a, a Marathi legend, because um, he only have actually played one Marathi, but um, nevertheless, Les Perrion, who died last week, the age, grand old age of 98, which would have made him the oldest Channel Island living Marathi footballer, um, will always be remembered for the day Guernsey secured their only ever win against a fully professional team, and that was 1951, when um, they beat Cardiff 2-0 at the track in front of 6,000-odd people, and Les scored both goals those day, that day. And um, that came just um, 11 days after the historic win in the Marathi, um, when, which was played in front of just a few people down at the track, um, 12,692, which is an unbelievable number when you think 12,692. And a Guernsey football ground, it must have been absolutely wonderful to be there. And um, of course, he, the reason he didn't play more Marathis is because he played right wing and there's a certain Harry Fuller who secured that position for for best part of 20 years I think you know and um but anyway 
Les, you know, when went off this planet, having taken that sort of, you know, that honour with him of beating a professional team with his own bat. That 12,000 attendance must have been a, more than 25% of the island population at that point, which means that Alderney's crowd of about 500, say, on Saturday is a similar kind of percentage. Uh, 50 supporters turned up to watch uh, CF Independent play a friendly against, against Alderney once. So. <laughs> And, and of course, with um, Les's, pa- Les's passing, it does beg the question, who is now the oldest Guernsey Marathi footballer? Um, it was, uh, you know, up to a couple of years ago, it was, Ernie Sauvage led that um, debate by quite some distance um, when he was um, well past his 100th. But um, I, to be honest, I'm not quite sure who that would be now that Les Perrim's gone. Um, I'm not sure there could be any very many who, who passed their 90s. I know one or two are in their late 80s. But um, it'd be you know great if somebody could actually tell us if some old Marathi footballer could come or football fan can come forward and tell us oh so and so is still around and he he's whatever age and we might better determine that fact. Yeah, get in touch. Um... Uh, well, any of the ways you normally contact the Guernsey Press, let us know. Yeah, fantastic. Um, okay, let's wrap it up there. Um, it's been a bit, another bumper edition. It is a very busy end to the season. Lots more to come. I think we'll be back probably next Tuesday. Um, if we've got that game on Bank Holiday Monday, we'll um, we'll take that one in and uh, come back with some reaction to that. But yeah, guys, thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.